0: Welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So today I am joined, I'd like to call you a friend by Dr. Hussain Gandhi. And this conversation came out of you messaging me and saying, should we do something on helping people how to apply for an NHS role or a primary care network role? And I thought that this conversation would sit really nicely, probably on our YouTube channel, but also on our podcast. So, whilst Gandhi and I are knee deep in primary care networks, I mean, we'll give some examples around primary care networks. I think that we can provide some generic advice to help people to help their applications stand out. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, there's there's lots of shift and changes happening as many people are looking for, you know, different places and ways of working and stuff. And um, in my role as a PCNCD, I'm definitely getting lots of applications for jobs and stuff coming through. I've seen some good ones, seen some less good ones, seen some really interesting ones. Um, and I think understanding some of the peculiarities that come when applying for a job in the NHS uh, compared to other organisations in particular can be really helpful, I think, for people out there.
0: Definitely. And for those of you that don't know what CD stands for, it's clinical director. And Gandhi, if you just give people, I know you've been on the podcast before, but if you just remind our listeners about what you do, how long you've been in your role and what your interests are.
1: Sure. So primarily I'm a GP I've been working my practice for uh, over 10 years now as a partner I'm also a GP trainer so I help educate the next generation of GPs and on board them and stuff I also have another hat as a primary care network clinical director and that's for Nottingham City East I've been doing that for just over three and a bit years now and I have various other hats across the board I probably have about 10 plus jobs but one of the more common ones people know me about is running a platform called eGP Learning which is designed as I call it to tech enhance primary care and learning and that provides various different pieces of content like a podcast like a youtube channel social media stuff and our conferences that we do um, for both helping trainers using system one and our PCM plus course that me and Tara have been working on for the past year or so that's going yeah. really well and, and I have really enjoyed doing it and yeah, yeah definitely something people may want to have a look at as well definitely
0: okay so where where should we start what were you initially thinking of when you reached out to me
1: So I think the first place to start is that difference between how and where you're applying for that job. So there is a significant difference between when you apply for a job um, in a general practice, um, particularly a small organisation where you may be applying directly to the practice themselves, or if that application is through a platform, the most commonly used one is NHS Jobs. And there is a massive difference when you apply between those two different routes. So understanding that can be really useful just so that you don't knock yourself out of this first hurdle really.
0: So when you say knock yourself out of the first hurdle, give us an example. So if I am applying for a job on NHS jobs, what is something that I could do accidentally as the applicant to kind of make my application invalid?
1: So many organisations are looking to try and be as fair and equitable as possible, particularly with, you know, the EDI agenda, making sure that there is, um, you know, fairness for lack of better terms. Um, and one of the things sometimes people do is they put their names in the applications. Now, there is a section where you obviously have to put your name, um, but actually the content of the application that's shared with the people that shortlist you, the whole point is that they're not meant to know who you are. It's meant to be you know anonymous in some ways. So if you put specific information that identifies you, like your name, for example... In some organisations, they will automatically disqualify that because it's no longer unbiased. They know who the person is potentially, or they can look them up, or, or that kind of stuff. So that's actually an error that sometimes people make, and it's a really simple error, but it's a really catastrophic one. depending on the organisational preferences and stuff that they have.
0: As an applicant, would I know? Does it say do not put your name? You know, like it. It, it seems very unfair if it's not explicit in the application form or whether you should put your name in or not.
1: So, it should do. I appreciate sometimes some organizations may forget to add that one extra line in, or it may be an ethos that the organization has that hasn 't transferred to the h r departments and that kind of stuff that there 's no default kind of section that that says that, but particularly like I said, as many organizations are moving towards making applications equitable that it 's fair and, and you know unbiased, I think we are going to see more places looking at that so. When you're going through a platform like NHS Jobs that allows for anonymization of the applications, and particularly we are looking at larger organizations that will tend to use those. So again, it will typically be your hospitals, it will be your federations, it will be your networks, that kind of stuff. Some practices, particularly larger practices apply through that, will do that as well. It's important to note that that it is something just to consider how you apply for that job in that way
0: do you think there's a message to give to the interviewing panel that if they do see someone's name and unconscious bias is really hard you know that you don't even realize you're doing it mm-hmm. but from listening to this podcast if they do see an you know an application good or bad with somebody's name on it they just really need to check themselves to think really carefully why am i you know like going to approve or deny this application because it would be a shame to discount people
1: yeah absolutely i know that when that happened to us what we simply did we had somebody that you know within our structure that acts as the hr interface and they just simply said somebody's put their name in we said well don't tell us who it is just go back to them ask them to resubmit take out their name as long as we don't know what it is actually it's not a problem but it's when it comes through without that kind of buffer that you know that that thing to um, help and stuff so you know i think if you are looking if, if that's the way the organization wants to process the applications making sure there's that one little step just before just to make sure the application's is appropriate and then at least you can go back to the applicant and say Actually, you know, there's this little piece of information that, that makes you completely identifiable, you know, and actually we're trying to make sure that we're being as fair as possible. So maybe take that bit out um, and then resubmit and then that should hopefully help from there.
0: If people submit, say, using their CV,
1: mm-hmm.
0: would you advise if I just put, you know, like T. Humphrey mm-hmm. or I don't put miss or missus, I just put, you know, like my initials, would you think? Why have they not put their name or would you, would, if, would that be good
1: practice? And so there is a section where you do have to put your name. So there's the initial kind of application part where you have to put your details and stuff. The key point is it's the supporting information part that goes normally to the people who are doing the um, assessments and the shortlisting and that won't have those details in it. So it will put you as a reference number and then it will have your supporting information and yeah. stuff. So that's the part that the shortlisters will see. They won't see all the other demographic information that you put in. So, yeah, obviously in the demographics, put your details. You kind of need to because people need to know how to contact you yeah. and process the application. The key part is the supporting information part. When you're doing that, don't put your, your details in there that you know clearly identify you as T. Humphrey or something like that. Okay. Okay. To be honest, a lot of the questions are designed that you shouldn't need to do that as well. It's more asking about things like your skills. It's, you know, none of those questions normally asking you for your demographic information. It's just some people decide to put them in.
0: Okay. So I think on the applicant's part, this all goes into, prep- you know, preparing. <laughs> Try not to wait until 12 o'clock, you know, 12 a.m. deadline. Copy and paste your information into a Word document or we'll write it in a Word document at proofread it and then copy and paste it over and try not to do that at the 25th hour because that's when mistakes will be made so it's, it's basic but we've all done it
1: absolutely yeah and actually tara i, I take that to be a little bit further and um, keep that document that you've copied and pasted it into because actually when it comes around to your interview and stuff you may have tailored your applications to different jobs if you applied for multiple different jobs. And actually remembering what you've put in can be sometimes really difficult. Secondly, sometimes these platforms don't work the way we'd like them to. And actually having that information on a separate document that you can just copy and paste it rather than having to write it all out again because it crashed as you press submit Will definitely make your life so much easier and less stressful.
0: So, you just highlighted another thing, as we've not doing, we should have made some notes on this, but the next thing that you've just highlighted is tailoring. So, as an employer mm-hmm. um, at THC Primary Care and as a PCN manager, I don't just want any, I don't want somebody that just wants a job. And I know that might be unfair, but I don't. I want somebody that wants to work for my network or my company. So, mm-hmm. I want to be a tailored, application. I want to see why you want to work for this primary care network or my organization and I want some evidence of that. I do, it's so soul-destroying when you put a job ad up on Indeed and you get, you know, like a truck driver, you know, somebody that works at McDonald's, a healthcare assistant, an engineer, you know, like they don't, they don't want to work at TAC. (laughs) They just want a job. So I would say tailor your application and I know it's a bit more time consuming and I know it's just easier to just fire it off to as many jobs as possible. But tailor your application. Really think carefully. Do I want to work here and do I have Mm -hmm. the skills and experience to work here?
1: Definitely agree with that. I think regardless of the type of organisation you're applying for, having a bit of knowledge about that organization will definitely put you in better stead and showing that you've got that information in the application. So have you had a look at the, you know, the network or the practices website to understand what what type of structure they have, you know, what type of population they look after, for example, how is that role potentially going to fit in and more importantly, how are you going to further that role? Um, are things that would sing out to me if I was to read an application saying, "Oh, this is someone I really want to speak to, to find out more about them, and this may be something somebody I want to actually work with." I know one of the many challenges as a CD's and same as a GP partner um, that currently we have people applying for jobs, but they don't understand general practice, they don't understand how the NHS works, and it is a massive culture change if you've not been working in that environment. And that doesn't mean you have to have been working in the NHS to work, you know, in it, but you have to have some understanding that it can be different. So showing that in the application will definitely give you a better chance of getting towards the next stage, for example, in the interviews and that kind of stuff.
0: So I've just made some notes. So I did think regardless of what organisation and you doesn't necessarily have to come through somehow, you want to see how you can weave this in, you want to be clear on the location of where you're going to be working, you know, like, can you get there if it's an in-person role or if it's, if it's working, if you are working virtually, can you get there every now and again? So really be clear on the location, the nature of the population. And you can get all this stuff you can Google. Or if you're, you know, I love it when people, a lady called Ellen, who works for me, messaged me on LinkedIn and was like, I've been following you for ages. I really like your stuff. You do X, Y, and Z. This is my experience. And literally two days later, she had a job you know, like she'd done her research, she was really proactive and I wasn't actually advertising. So you can Google all of this stuff, or if you're feeling really brave, or what I would recommend is for you to contact that organisation. When they say for any more details, mm-hmm. call me or email me, call them or email them. Absolutely. And really get a sense of what they are looking for, because sometimes we are not our best for our own best friends what we are looking for and what we put in a job description unfortunately can be two different things
1: absolutely agree with that and i appreciate it may be more effort in terms of having to contact that organization to say actually give me some more information about this what you know how can i understand how i can work with them better but as you said as well one of the things to remember particularly when it comes to things like network roles a lot of the network roles are being created because out of things that haven't been done before so there's an element of flexibility to how that role will work. And, and sometimes we don't actually know the type of person we want in that role. We, we want somebody to do this, but actually we don't completely understand how this will look like in six months or how it will look like in a year. And actually part of that will be absolutely down to the individual. So actually, this is the opportunity for people to say, I want to take this and make it my own. How How can I make it my own and how can I show I can do that? Well, that's where the initiative can sometimes help with that.
0: Yeah, I think, but at the same time, the organisation has to be as clear as possible because it is a bit unfair. You know, when and I've been in this situation where it's a bit like, how can you see the role developing? And they're like, (laughs) I have no idea what what happens now. And you're like, "Mm, I don't know. So I think we have to do as good a job as we possibly can. But I think fair to say, if you work in healthcare we want somebody that is, you know, flexible, open-minded. If you have a job in a primary care network, I say to people, if you like structure and everything to work, you know, like perfectly in a nice sequence, do not apply. You would hate this job. <laughs> you would absolutely hate it. We can plan to our heart's content, but then you get into practice something happened. So we definitely need somebody that's flexible, somebody that's going to go for, with the flow. I think we all want somebody that's going to use their initiative. So I think that you look obviously you're reviewing the job description in front of you, but I also think, so if you're applying for a hospital care coordinator, I would obviously look at my, the job I'm applying for, but I'd also look at another hospital care coordinator to try to, I would have a look at the role And try to see what is common, or are they completely, completely different? Mm -hmm. And I think if you're in a primary care network, oh my God, I would absolutely do that. Because one of the questions will be, what do you know about a care coordinator in a primary care network? And the answer you want to give is to be able to say, from my understanding, from my research, from looking at the job descriptions, it really is dependent on the population. Mm -hmm. And from looking at your job description, I think you're looking for X, Y, and Z. So that's the answer. If you apply for a role in a primary care network, there is no excuse for you not to come prepared because I've created so many resources for you on our blog. Um, so go and visit www.thcprimarycare.co.uk blog. There's so much information on there. What else? We want them to research, want them to understand the lo- the location, the population, want them to have a bit of understanding about the role. We've talked about the initiative bit and i think the initiative comes from if you call me or call yourself and you say what are you looking for that's you showing initiative and the question would be i'd say to you how do you see this role developing in the next year then i would take that data and p- pop it in a presentation and send it to you
1: nice simple and a great way to show the initiative yeah
0: yeah what else are you looking for
1: so I think the key thing that we're looking for is how is that person also going to sit within the existing workforce? You know, so what skills and qualities does that person have that's going to complement the team that we've already got? Because one of the challenges we have absolutely in general practice and other places is that, you know, the teams are fluctuating in many places. You know, we have people coming and we have people leaving. And actually what we want is stabilisation in many places. So how are they going to fit as part of that team? And that's actually the advice I would give to anybody who's particularly applying for GP roles in particular. So the assumption is you can do the job clinically. You know, that has to be there. You can do the job. But actually how you work within organisations, whether it's as a GP, whether it's as an AMP, actually how you fit within that organisation is actually the more important thing for many places, because what they don't want is somebody that's going to come in and destabilise things, in the way that their personality may be. And, and, and that's a hard thing to understand. But at the same time, it is sometimes some things that you can show in your supporting information as how your communication skills work, how your you know networking skills work, how what you want out of the job and how that can work effectively. And just remembering that, yes, it's a job, Yes, we're there to have an income, but actually it's also about the way that we want to spend our time. And you're going to be spending potentially a lot of your time with people in these organizations. So how is that going to work effectively for you and for the organization itself?
0: Definitely. One of the questions that we ask is, what do you want from an ideal employer? And if you you need to be as honest as you can, just be 100% honest. It's your life. You know, you spend so much, as you said, so much time at work. Be be honest with what you need I can give you support but if you need constant reassurance you know all day every day then I won't I'm not going to be able to give you that we work remotely we check in regularly throughout the day but sometimes I'm not around. So if you need that, if you low confidence for whatever reason, mm-hmm. if you saying, actually, no, I need an employer that is going to, you know, like hold my hand from the my induction program. I'm not going to mm-hmm. choose you, not because I can't give you that. That's what you want from an ideal employer. Yeah. And I can't give you that. And I, a primary care network perspective, we need to be very honest with what we can give our employees and what we can't. And I say to people, what you don't want to do, you know, like I promise them Disneyland and then they get there and it's a huge mistake because you haven't set the expectations and also the applicant hasn't been honest mm-hmm. with what they they need to to feel like they can thrive in that in that environment. Yep. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. I think it's also from the organization, you know, the employing organizations to be honest about what they're offering in that support as well. You know, actually are you having weekly or bi weekly check-ins, you know, how is that going to change over the time of the employment? So you absolutely you'd expect at the start a lot more support but then the honest you know, aspect that it is going to reduce down to something that's more regular and more contained. Because actually, as you said, if you're having to give the same level of support to somebody who's started, if you're doing that same level of support six months or a year in, actually, that's going to be a challenge on the organization to maintain, because that is, let's be honest. Um, so as you said, you know, you may need to adjust how that works and actually being honest from the organisation's perspective of what support you give. So, for example, in our network, we have all of our teams get a um, weekly or two-weekly um, drop-in session um, for supervision. They have clinical debriefs if they're working clinically, every single clinic with their host organisation. And I also offer a bi-weekly drop-in session for any of the network staff just to come in and have a chat with me about whatever they want. Half an hour, I'm available. I've cleared out my time. You know, if you want to come and chat with me about, you know, what's going on in the network, we'll talk about that. If you want to come talk to me about drones, I'll come talk about that. You know, that, that was the topic of our last session, you know, we ended up talking about drones and how we could use that to support our community, you know, random stuff. But that, it's, it's that level of support and what does that support look like within your network for that individual, both at the start, the induction period, and actually a bit later on when they've got through that period.
0: I do. I'm not going to edit this out. I will support you if you work with me. But <laughs> I will support you. Okay. I will. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What? El- <laughs> what else? I'm trying to think. What else? Application tips. I want to see evidence of preparation and follow up. I I have no problem with you messaging to say you know and we this goes back I know we're talking about application tips but a lot of it is the expectations of the per- the employer so people want to know when does that de- when does the date close mm-hmm. you know when is the interview what you know like mm-hmm. what's the process of the interview and if I've not made that clear I'm happy like email me yep. you will want to know what this our recruitment process is again that's showing you know like being proactive so if somebody was to highlight that and just ask the question mm-hmm. i would think you know when i make the notes i would say in our interview panel so and so has already contacted me and asked these questions so i do think that is i do i want to see that level of proactiveness any employer would i can i can appreciate if you work in a hospital and you're like you're recruiting hundreds of people all of the time, you would probably have that process and communication, you know, like already laid out. And then if people do contact you, it's like, well, they've not read it. But there is probably there's a scale, but you want to see that people have read your information and if there are gaps, you want people to not just sit there and wonder because in a, a normal job you will be give you will be routinely given incomplete information and it will be there for you. You will have to proactively find out the answer.
1: And I think, like you say, ask a question if, you, if you've if you got it either beforehand or during the interview. I know one of the ones that often causes some conflict, um, and I am going to use the word conflict here, um, is stuff around pay. And one thing to remember, particularly when it comes to things like network roles, actually, there is a reimbursement rate that many networks get. And many networks will consider that those are the upper limits of what they can afford in order to pay people, because that's how much income they actually get from paying people to, to pay people and stuff so if you're you know a type of person that has additional skills and stuff and feel that you are valued more than what they can offer have that discussion with them but also understand that they may their hands may be tied that actually that's the the limit they, that organization can go to there are some places where they have flexibility with that because of other funding because of other opportunities and that kind of stuff but if you don't have an idea of the, the figures and, and what the expectations might be that may more importantly waste your time as an applicant because you're applying for a job that, you know, they just can't offer you. But also you don't want to then start the job and have that unpleasant discourse at that point, which, you know, nobody wanted to be in that situation because everyone thought it was obvious what was happening and stuff.
0: So would you, do you want me to have that, that conversation with you before I've applied for the role? So in my research...
1: Well, I think definitely have a look at the pay bandings for, you know, if we're talking about PCN roles in particular, there, there are set pay banding roles that exist um, for PCN roles. You know, that's not something that we're going to go away from. There are some networks where they may feel that, you know, for particular people who are outside of those banding roles, they may be willing to pay the extra money. And that's if they've got the funds to do that. Generally speaking, small networks won't bigger networks might do because of the way the funding structures work and stuff. So again, it's knowing where you're applying for. If you're applying for a really small network and saying, I want an extra £3,000 above the banding role, chances are they're not going to have the money to do that, you know? Um, So do your homework first of all. If there is something that you bring to the table that you feel is actually going to enhance what the role offers and absolutely you need to be recompensed for that additional factor, raise it. And say, this is why I think I'm valued more than what you can offer. And actually, this is how I think it's going to help you. Because often, when I see somebody that's applying for a role, if I can see that they're going to have a real benefit for the team, for the patients, that kind of stuff, I don't mind trying to find additional funding to do that. I've got to find it still. Don't get me wrong. I can't just say, absolutely, here we go, straight away need to find that funding but in order for me to take that funding from somewhere else i need a justification to do that yeah that's the key thing because it's a finite pot at the end of the month at the end of the day and if i can't justify that reason the answer will be no and we just wasted each other's time annoyingly.
0: and i suppose to help you provide that case for additional an additional salary you know like wow them wow you if you get you know put, go above and beyond in your application process go above and beyond in your interview so the panel you know sit back and go we need like we we need to work out how We get this person and Mm -hmm. you do that by the preparation, the follow up, thanking people, thanking the panel for interviewing them. If you forget a question, you know, following up and saying, I forgot to ask this or I forgot to raise, you know, like I forgot to raise this because we know that it can be nerve wracking. So just try to make yourself like irresistible. And it's actually not that hard to do because so few people do it. Mm -hmm. They really, you know, I've done so many interviews. People are late. People are clearly unprepared. Um, it's just a long line of jobs, and we we get it. We understand that people need to work, but we want people. Even if you know, like you kind of have to fake it, you have to act like I really want to work with this organization. Yep. Um, I think that will put you in really good stead.
1: And with that, just a quick tip: always be professional when it comes to the interview process. I've had people take interviews in their cars. I've had people take interviews, you know, in places that you really shouldn't be taking interviews. Let's put it that way. Um, And you're right, sometimes life just has a habit of just throwing you a curveball and you can't do anything about it. But just remember, if it's going to be a tight day on the day you're doing your interview, just acknowledge the fact that people are going to look at your professionalism. And actually, if they see unprofessional behavior, is that something that then that's how you are? Or is it just you've had a really bad day? And those are the questions that are going to be going through the interviewers. So, you know, try and make sure that you're mitigating those things. If you know it's going to be a tight day, for whatever reason, it might be childcare, that kind of stuff and things, you know, try your best to mitigate it as much as possible so you've got some flexible time around it because then at least you're less stressed when it comes to it. And I'm going to yeah. mention that particularly because, unfortunately, I've seen that a few times. People taking yeah. interviews in places they really should not be taking interviews and it appears that wasn't considered, you know, it was that was their intention to do it that way. And actually... Yeah. Yeah, it's not the best impression.
0: No. One thing I just wanted to go back on is when we talk about skills, so there is what we are good at and then there's what we think we are good at and like Mm -hmm. what we think the interview panel wants to hear. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you're really smart and you're currently looking for jobs, to ask people in your organisation, if you had to say my top three things, like top three areas, what are my top three strengths in your opinion? Mm -hmm. and really listen to what they say and that's what I want to hear so it may not be you know like everyone everybody will say you know like I'm so hardworking. I'm really really flexible and I've got excellent attention to detail do you know what Mm it's like like everybody will say that but when I think of like Valentina one of Mm -hmm. her skills is she's my um, executive assistant Like she is genuinely, genuinely so caring. She will always be like, Tara, make sure you've got your lunch. Make sure don't, you know, I've I've declined this meeting to make sure that you've got time to do X, Y and Z. When I was, I I do quite a lot of work trips. She's always looking out for me. Mm -hmm. And I did say to her, like, if I went to a conference in Malta and she was like, make sure you have time, you know, like time to look around. You know, you've gone all that way you know like make sure don't don't just sit in your hotel room and she kept checking on me and I just think that is a lovely quality in that and you know in the job description I didn't you know I just want someone in my mind I think I just want someone to do the job you know like excellent mm-hmm. diary management somebody that's really patient but she's really really caring and she does it with everybody and I think you know, we all value I really value that and if I hope she never leaves me, but that would be what I'd put on her reference. You know, like I absolutely yeah. trust her and she's a really caring individual. Um mm-hmm. so don't always look for the bog standard don't communicate the bog standard stuff. Really ask your team what you're good at because that's what yeah. we are gonna experience and that's what we're gonna see.
1: And I think having that individuality helps because, you know, if somebody said to me, I'm really hardworking, I put loads of attention to detail, you know, and I'm committed to the organization I'm working through. So my instant response will be, so how are you going to make sure you don't burn out? Because if you're doing all three of those things, I guarantee you, you're going to burn out working in the NHS currently. So it's not that, you know, you can't do that. It's just how are you going to make sure it doesn't become part of what you're doing all the time so that then you can't actually do the job safely? And effectively, and actually, you know, that stock answer that people give, like you mentioned, when I've asked that question in, in other interviews, they've kind of looked at me thinking, well, it will not be like that. And like, fortunately, it might be, <laughs> you know, that, that's the NHS at the moment. You know, it is that yeah. different culture that exists in the workload that comes with it. And absolutely, we need to make sure that people are, you know, working in a safe environment. But there are going to be days potentially where it's going to be chaos, that is the NHS at the moment. Let's be realistic, you know. So how are you going to make sure that you aren't the one that suffers? And, you know, if that's how you are, you're trying to sell yourself, actually, I want to know how you're, going to put the, how you're going to have those skills to make sure that that's not you on a daily basis because that's not what I want from somebody working with me. I want them to enjoy coming to work. I want them to have a group, be, be a great part of the team and be safe, you know.
0: Definitely. Well, I know you've got to go. Well, I think it's probably a part two. It's so... It's really helpful because it makes me. It's helping me to think back. I am recruiting, and I think it help. It will tweak my recruitment process. And I think mm-hmm. the last thing I would say is that we want to attract. You know, like the the best talent. Um, mm-hmm. we want to recruit. Um, so the desire and the will is there, and we'll try to make the. It's a partnership. We'll try to make the process as smooth and as painless as possible. But we need you to show up prepared. Um.
1: So thank you. Thank you for having me, Tara. Love it as always.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you hear, I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five star review.